Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. Potter Gaff had to go through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. They've got it with Smith, they've got it with Smith, they've got a score with Smith. Unbelievable. Great chance, they've won it. Ashton have won it. Hello and welcome to the Match Day FM podcast and the latest episodes of Prem Talk, where me, Chris Stott, alongside Kieran Makin, will reflect on Match Week 14 from the Premier League and then look ahead to the Boxing Day Bonanza, which is split over two days this time around. And it's going to become a very hectic schedule, uh, not just for the players, but for us as well. We've got to try and keep us abreast of everything that's going on. And we'll be able to tell you all about that later. But let's get straight into the results from the last rounds of Premier League action. And it started with Liverpool whacking Crystal Palace 7-0. Then Manchester City beat Southampton by a goal to nil with Everton continuing their good form and condemning Arsenal to another defeat that finished 2-1. Newcastle against Fulham finished 1-1. A couple of controversial calls in that one. Then on the Sunday, Brighton and Sheffield United shared a point at one apiece. Leicester went to Spurs and won. We're going to talk a bit about Spurs to come. That finished 2-0. Then the breathtaking game between Manchester United and Leeds. 6-2 that finished, but it could have been anything, as we'll discuss very shortly. Then Aston Villa condemned Sam Allardyce to a first defeat in charge of West Brom 3-0. Then Monday's last night's games, Burnley 2, Wolves 1. And Chelsea comfortably beating West Ham by three goals to nil. So, Kieran, as I mentioned... um, we're going to start with that crazy game at Old Trafford between Manchester United and Leeds United. We've waited over 15 years for that game to, to come around in the Premier League. And it's safe to say it didn't disappoint really. Well, I suppose Leeds United fans might disagree. But um, if you're neutral or, as in my case, a Manchester United fan, it was well worth the wait. It was just a crazy game of football, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the, the early minutes set the tone for that, didn't it, Chris? You know, I, I barely sat down on the couch and Scott McTominay had last run in the bottom corner. Do you know what I mean? And then two minutes later, he's got another. And it was a funny one, wasn't it? Um, even even when United were 4-0 up and then Leeds got that that goal just before half-time, you, you, you still felt Leeds could, you know, conjure up a, a bit of magic, really. It was it was a weird, weird game. Um, but like you said, great for someone like me who's a neutral, proper entertainment. Um, we thought these days had gone, I don't, you know, early on in the Premier League season, goals were flying left, right and centre. And we had a bit of a dip, didn't we? But this weekend just seems to have picked up again. You know, Liverpool smashed in seven, United putting in six. Um, yeah, it's a shame the fans weren't there because the atmosphere would have been electric as well. You know, big rivalry is that one. It's funny though, isn't it? And, and I'm sure we'll come on to Bielsa really. You know, he's it, starting to be a little bit like Marmite, isn't it? You love it or hate it. Pundits seem to just keep giving him credit because he, you know, the admire is braveness, if you like, of not changing the philosophy. You know, one, one day they're beating Newcastle 5-2, they're on a few days later they're losing 6-2 at United. So it's just, um, you know, is there a fine line between brave um, and I know he's one of the best managers of all time, but stupidity as well. Is he a little bit naive? Um, 
for me, I've said it, I think they'll probably pick up more points playing that way than they lose. But um, they've got to be careful because that will be a demoralising defeat. And all the fans weren't there, but to lose to one of your biggest rivals. And as you know, Chris, as a United fan, that's a huge game. Um, I, I, I just don't know. Confidence, you know, the manager can, can instill it in you, say, you know, keep going, keep doing what you're doing, keep working and, and it'll come. But, you know, sometimes players... Um, I know it sounds a bit silly that they might doubt be else, but sometimes players, when they're lacking confidence, might think, you know, should we should we be still doing this? Um, I don't know if if you would think the same, Chris, but it, it is you know that does that doubt creep into the back of the mind? Yeah, I think it's interesting how um, it's sort of very much divided opinion, hasn't it? We've seen some people say that you know when it goes to three nil after twenty minutes, four nil before half time, then that most teams would probably go you know what, let's just damage limitation. That I don't think that thought entered anybody at Leeds' mind. Um, and then you get Gary Neville saying he won't criticise them purely because of the fact that they stuck to their principles and their beliefs and that work ethic right until the death. Because how many teams do you see when the 4 5 nil down just stop playing and just don't put the same intensity and effort in? Whereas Leeds, right till the death, were creating chances. And on another day, they could have had six themselves. It was crazy. Um, but they could have conceded 15 quite easily. Um, so I get what Gary Neville's saying in the sense that, you know, if you're a manager and you're wanting your players to work every minute of every game, Leeds have got that. And that is an absolute credit to them. They have a way of playing which does lead them open to this sort of thing. But what's interesting is a lot of people have also said this game was tailor-made for Man United. The way Leeds play, the way United Man United play, and it played into their hands. That, to me, that's the only doubt I would have over Bielsa sticking to his principles is the fact that if you're a great coach, surely you adapt. If you know that your system is tailor-made for somebody else to rip you apart, surely you tweak it ever so slightly to do that. All it would have taken is somebody alongside Calvin Phillips to fill that space where United just exploited because it was effectively man-marking Fernandez, and it was one of the few games where Fernandez was letting others sort of do a lot of the work as well. So I think that's the one thing I would sort of potentially question is if that had ended 10, would we still get people saying, yeah, fair play to Leeds for, for going about it the way did way they did? Yeah, and it, it is admirable, and I, I do agree in a sense of what you've just said, and obviously you were echoing Gary Neville's sentiments as well. Um, it is admirable that he sticks to his guns no matter what, and um, like I've said in this and, and previously, I think they'll be fine, but if they're not fine at the end of the season, will they look back, say they go down, will they look back and regret the fact that oh, maybe we should have just shut up shop there and picked up a point, or do, do you know what I mean? Try and get those extra results that would keep them safe, but on, on the flip side, it's um, it's entertaining, you know. It's re- it's really entertaining, um, and you know, last time I was on with you, Chris, uh, and you've just mentioned it perfectly there. But last time I was on with you, we were looking at the West Ham game when West Ham went to Ellen Road and won two one, and I was saying how Moyes had adapted his formation to put Saeed Ben Rama in the ten, and he infiltrated those spaces down the sides of Calvin Phillips. Now, um, Calvin Phillips was isolated. What, what, what ended up happening was you obviously have the two leads fullbacks who bomb on really high and you have 
that leaves two centre-backs and Calvin Phillips. What United were doing, we're just leaving four forward for the counter-attack. Phillips was occupied with Fernandez, and what Rashford and Dan James were doing were tucking inside in that spaces behind the full-backs. And you ended up with Fernandez one one with Phillips, and then you ended up with James, Rashford and Martial, 3v2 against the centre. So it was a 4v3 job every time they went forward. And, you know, we've seen what United can do on the counter-attack uh, with the pace that they have. They showed it at Sheffield United the other day, that uh, second Rashford, uh, was it the second or first one? Where Fernandez back healed it. Yeah, that third goal, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, so it's, you, you are right in what you're saying. Is it almost, again, naivety? And you've got to look at it and go, yeah, we can still play a pre- high-pressing, attacking style of football, but do we just need to maybe drop in another holding midfielder or think about when we bomb forward the fullbacks, you know, you know, in certain uh, developments of attack, you know what I mean? It's almost like whenever they win the ball, they attack the exact same way every single time. And it'll work sometimes, but sometimes you'll, you'll get caught out. And obviously, um, it worked against Newcastle. They scored five, but didn't work against United. They conceded six. So it's where do you, where do you find that balance? It, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think what is going for them is the fact that you still think, like you said earlier, that they'll win more games than they lose. And at the minute, there is absolutely at least three sides that will pick up less points than them. Um, because I don't think you can use the phrase worse than them because I think Leeds are very, very good on their day. Um, I think it's a, it will be interesting to see if Leeds go on a, a potential bad run, say they don't win for three or four games and the teams below them start picking up points and that gap starts to um, narrow, whether then Leeds start to think, let's be a little bit more pragmatic. Because I remember you think back to Blackpool when they were in the Premier League, they had a very gung-ho style and we all thought, yeah, they're going to score enough goals to keep themselves in the league, win enough games 4-3 to stay up. But they went down on the last day because they couldn't see games out. You know, because at one point they were winning at United and staying up. Um, That's the only worry. If Leeds do hit a bad run where they are still playing this style, playing well in games, but not winning them, that would potentially be an issue. I don't think it will arise because I still think they'll probably finish around mid-table and quite comfortable. It's just, if it does fall into that situation, because how many times do you see it where championship sides just run out of steam? Again, this league team look as though they can run all day, every day. But you remember a whole city, obviously a completely different way of playing when they first came up. Um, remember they went at, won at Arsenal, the Giovanni screamer and, and that, and then went on an awful run and stayed up on the last day. It can happen because they were like top eight or something, weren't they? Especially in, in this season of all seasons, Chris, like you said, the super fit leads and they'll run all day and pretty much he sticks with the same starting 11 all the time, which is just, you know, testament to the fitness of the entire squad. You know, I test it to, you know, same starting 11, you know what I mean? It's mostly the same players and he, you know, he'll chop and change one or two just to keep it fresh. But you're absolutely right. Um, in this season of all seasons, especially when the games are coming thick and fast because of what's happened with the pandemic, you know, fixtures are backed up. Um, I mean, Christmas period is busy at the best of times. It's very busy now. Like you mentioned it when we were when we were coming on. Uh, then we've, we've got this. Then we've got obviously the two days of the Boxing Day Bonanza that, to cover. So we know how busy it is. So you're right. By, you know, they're very fit, but by every chance they could run out of steam or they could go for a sticky patch where they lose a few games and, and the team underneath them hits form. You've only got to look at Burnley now. They're doing their annual Christmas yeah. unbeaten run, what they do. <laughs> yeah. um, but it happens, you know, 
I know they had a bad result, West Brom on the weekend, but Sam Allardyce could start working his, you know, relegation, staying up magic, whatever you want to call it. So it's, um, you they've got to keep an eye on it for sure because they're not out of the woods, but I do think they have enough to uh, finish quite comfortably. Yeah, and as we've said, they could have had six or seven themselves. David De Gea made a couple of great saves in that game. But looking at Man United now, obviously it started so quick, so quick in but that I actually missed the first two goals because I was driving back from covering um, a game and I was like, oh, right, I'm going to miss the first three or four minutes here. Um, I doubt anybody scored. Come in, Scott McTominay's within a way, having scored his seconds. I was like, I'll rewind it. Just about caught up in time for the third goal to go in. But I want to talk about McTominay because he's a player that, I've watched him live a few times. Um, you know, I've watched him on TV even more times. Ever since he came into the team, I've rated him, and I said at the start of the season he would be in my midfield um, as one of my first picks because I think he's got a little bit of what you need in that midfield. He can, you know, we know he can sort of defend, break up play, play centre half for Scotland, for example. But did we see? a different side of his game um, against Leeds. Maybe it helped playing against Leeds the way they play, but he was able to break the lines, make the runs. The pass to Dan James, if he meant it, is like brilliant. Um, you know, how we seeing now that Scott McTominay could actually be the play United have, have needed in that midfield for a long time and could be the answer to all the questions that have been thrown to them and one that they didn't have to go and spend 60 million quid on. Possibly. I do like him. He's an unsung hero for sure. And he's very, you know, versatile. As you mentioned, he plays in a back three sometimes for Scotland. Um, obviously, he plays in the two sitting positions for United. Because I think he gives that, first and foremost, he does give that defensive stability. You know, he can cover really well. He's got good energy. But yeah, we did see a, a different side to him. Maybe one that he knows he's got in the locker, but maybe the formation has restricted him, restricted him a little bit because Solskjaer is asking him to do a defensive job. If we think about when him and Fred have played together this season, it's been in those sort of big games, you know, against the big teams where you're probably going to have to do a bit more defensive work. I'm thinking about PSG away, City at home, Chelsea at home. So he maybe he is a little bit restricted. And as you said, the way Leeds play, maybe he just instinctively thought, you know what, we can gamble a few more bodies forward here. And, you know, he's shown that, um, well, the second goal, lovely bit of finesse. He could, you know, can find the back of the net. But the first goal the, the is a brilliant strike, but it's not the first one I've seen him do. I think, I don't know if you'll cash your, uh, your mind back to Arsenal. I think it was last season, Chris. Similar yeah. one, but it went the top, the opposite top corner. So he can obviously strike a ball as well. Um, I think, ideally, he doesn't want to be as defensive. I think he wants to be that sort of old-fashioned box-to-box midfielder. Um, which he can be for United and he can be a big player for them in years to come. I have no doubt about that. But the problem he's got is, and the problem Solskjaer still has, is what system does he play in midfield and who is the personnel to get the best out of those midfield players? You know, you've got Fred, McTominay, Fernandez obviously in the 10. Where does Pogba play? Does he play in one of the two sitting roles? Does he play in a three bombing forward? Does he play in the 10? Van der Beek, what is it? Is he a six? Is he eight? Is he 10? So that's the, the only problem that Solskjaer's got um, at the minute for me. Defensively, okay, they're still a bit rocky, but they're scoring enough goals to get away with that. And obviously that's a problem that McTominay has himself. But listen, he, he's the, the type of lad and the type of character 
who will just do what he's asked of him for the team. Um, you know, he's Manchester United um, for him for obviously been there since he was a, a young lad. So um, I would like to see him maybe in a free, if United can get a good holding midfielder and then have him one side and then maybe Fernandez the other side. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but um, I'm sure he'll do the job, what, whatever is asked of him. But yeah, brilliant performance and, and certainly growing into that role. And finally on United then, just um, does credit have to go to, to Solskjaer as well? Because he obviously knew exactly how Leeds were going to play and he's instructed his players in a way which has allowed them to absolutely smash them. Yeah, I mean, a, a master stroke really was playing Dan James. I think that was a bit of a surprise and everyone was like, he's, you know, he's not really pulled up any trees, but Solskjaer again knew that on the counter-attack, if he had as much pace as possible, they would hurt Leeds. Obviously, Martial, listen, Martial should have had two goals. He missed two sitters, didn't he? Um, obviously, Rashford going forward, we, we know what he's capable of. And, and obviously, Dan James got on the score sheet himself, but it was his pace that was, you know, a, a key asset. So, yeah, credit's got to go to Solskjaer, particularly for that game. But I think it, this season, Solskjaer, he gets battered, you know. And listen, there's been some woeful inconsistencies for Manchester United. I mean, the home form up until the Leeds game was not great. Obviously, disappointment going out in the Champions League. But the away form is on fire. Um, they drop into the Europa League, which they can compete in. They're in the quarterfinal of the League Cup. Um, so when I look at someone like, I know we've we've praised Arteta, and I don't think it's necessarily his fault what's going on at Arsenal, but he seems to get away with quite a lot, to be honest with you, Chris. doesn't seem to come into anywhere near as much criticism as Solskjaer does. So the, the criticism Solskjaer has taken on board, obviously the inconsistencies um, he's dealing with, you know, he's still got a few players that I think he would like out the door, to be honest with you. And especially after that 6-1 against Spurs at home when they were, they, that was rock bottom, wasn't it? To, to come back and, you know, if, to, I think, am I right in saying if they win the game in hand, they go second, third, something like that. So, yeah, the, that at the minute they're, they're five points off the leaders um, with a game in hand. So, in theory, win the game in hand, beat Liverpool when they play them. If they win, if they've won all the other games or match Liverpool's results, they could go, conceivably go top. Um, not 100% sure when they do play Liverpool, but you know, this is probably the first time United have actually been in a so-called title race for years. I'm trying to think, even when Mourinho was there and he finished second, they were miles behind City. This could be the first genuine t- uh, title since the days of Ferguson. You look at it based on the table alone. If United win that game in hand and they go into Christmas slash New Year, two, two points behind first place, you are in a title race. You can't, you're not, you cannot, nobody can sit there and go, you're not in the title race. Because if you're two points off the leaders going into the new year, that, you know, you're halfway through the season or whatever, they're in a title race. So it's, it's a weird thing to say because obviously this United team is, is still nowhere near the levels of Ferguson and obviously. So again, credit for maybe sticking with Solskjaer, you know, people, oh, he failed at Mulder, he failed at Cardiff, but he's not doing that bad of a job. Seriously. I think, Okay, again, inconsistencies and some bad results here and there, but they're still competitive for trophies. You know, three semi-finals last season. So I don't know. It's a funny one, isn't it? Who, who, who knows? I don't know. Now, if you're enjoying this, then why not check out our blog? You can find it on our website. Just search for Matchday FM.
And looking at uh, Tottenham Hotspur now, and um, a couple of weeks ago, um, everybody was raving about them, weren't they? It was like genuine title contenders. Been a difficult week or so for them. Uh, one point from three games. Um, lost to Leicester at home. Leicester seemed to do a bit of a job on them. Is the right phrase to use that the bubbles burst or is it just a minor blip for, for Spurs? I don't think the bubbles burst, but I don't think it's a minor blip either. I think they're still capable. They still, still certainly have the quality to be up there, but um, there's, there's a few little bits of issues there, isn't there, really? Um, if not... I mean, what well, they scored two goals in three games. I think they're struggling to score goals a little bit now, which is um, an issue for them. I don't want to take anything away from the three teams they've played. I've, you know, Palace did really, really well. I know uh, Guaita had the game of his life. Yeah. I know that dire freak, it was sensational. But they kept plugging away Palace and they got the equaliser, which is a worry for Spurs. Not the first time it's happened, you know. We look at the dodgy Newcastle penalty, for example, the West Ham game where they were three up. They drew three all. Um the Liverpool game was a, a, exactly how we expected it to go, wasn't it, Chris? Dead Mourinho was going to go and do classic Mourinho behind the ball job counter-attack. And it nearly worked. It nearly worked. But unfortunately, if you don't take your chances against Liverpool, they will create enough to beat you. That, that simple as that. And, and at Anfield as well. And then Leicester, I, I don't think we can underestimate um, the sort of tactical job that Brendan Rodgers did there. You know, one of Mourinho's protégés, isn't he? You know, was at Chelsea when Mourinho was there. It was the youth coach back then. Um, so it, they're still capable. They have the quality. you just only got to look at the forward line, Son, Kane, Bale, whoever it might be. Um, but it's not a minor blip either. It, you know, one point from three games and they've lost against two teams who are, who are up there. If, they were, if they're serious about going for the title, then, you know, that, that that's just unacceptable really, isn't it? Especially with the relent, relentless relentlessness of Liverpool. <laughs> Sorry. Um so, not major issues, but definitely something to think about for Mourinho. And uh, I'm not really sure where he needs to freshen it up a little bit. Maybe, you know, he's stuck with the pretty much the same team, hasn't he? You know, Sissoko, Heiberg in the middle and whatever. Maybe he just needs to freshen it up a little bit. But um, I still think they'll be right up there. They'll definitely be top four. But title, I don't know whether it might just be a bit out of reach for them now. And... Interesting how you mentioned um, the goal situation. If you look, if you take Son and Kane out of the equation, um, obviously they've been sensational this season. I think there's only five goals in the rest of the team. Um, you know that that's just off something. I, I think I heard something along those lines on match of the day. But you know, if that is the case, and it is a case of if Kane and Son aren't scoring, Spurs don't. Is that the worry? Because you know, if you know, teams will ultimately try and shut them two down, won't they? And Leicester seemingly were able to do that because I've seen a great piece of analysis, you know, of how Al Brighton and Justin um, neutralised Son's threat. And if teams are able to do that and take Son out of the game, that takes a lot away from Harry Kane as well. So that takes a lot, basically Spurs is, I wouldn't probably say only weapon, but you know, there's a case to say it possibly is. If you do that, do you just, you know, if, is that ultimately Spurs' major threat gone? And is that a, a, a worry that they don't have anybody really to come in and, and fill that void 
um, you know, and win a game when them two aren't able to do it. Yes, it is a worry. And, uh, you know, it's easier said than done to stop Kane and so on. Don't get me wrong, because they're two quality players. But the blueprint is there to be seen, isn't it, from Spurs? You know, Kane drops in deep into that number 10 role, wants to get on the half turn and spray passes to the inside forwards who are tucking in. You know, Son comes in off that left with pace. Um, but Rodgers recognised that, like you said, Chris, played James Justin, who is predominantly a right fullback, has played left fullback as well, or wing back. Played him in the right of a back three, didn't he? Because he knew he would have the pace to to match Son up and, and, and watch those runs. So it's, you know, teams are starting to pick up on it. And, and like I said, it's easier said than done, but it can be done. You're right. There isn't many goals coming from elsewhere, you know. On the right side of the three, Lamella, Mora and Bale aren't really doing it. And, you know, it's we must mention Bale, I think. I know he hasn't had a lot of game time at Real Madrid, but the money they spent on him just to have him on loan, he's not having an impact whatsoever. And then they're not getting goals from midfield. Either. Like I said, you've got Hoiberg and Sissoko as the sitters. They're not known for the goal scoring. Prowess more, you know, trying to break up the play, really. So, yeah, it, it is a worry. And... and um. This, this is it with Mourinho. He sort of, he's tweaked the way he plays a little bit, but he's still very pragmatic in what he does, isn't he? I think that's the foundation of what he's always done as a manager. Maybe he might have to look at a, a little bit of a different way of playing against certain teams. Because Leicester showed you the blueprint there, didn't they? I mean, Liverpool was different. You know, you know Liverpool are going to dominate the ball at Anfield. So I understand why he went there and, and did it. Um, and it nearly paid off, like I said. But, you know, Leicester going to... Uh, to, to the Tottenham Stadium and and doing that. And, and Everton did a similar type of job on him very early on in the season. I think, well, obviously the first game. So, listen, it can be done, absolutely. Um, and that is the worry. You take out that threat, that pattern of play where Kane drops deep and, you know, sprays those passes out to, you know, the likes of... Then you're in with a shout, really. Because if you think back to the Arsenal game, listen, Arsenal weren't great. They passed their around the back four and... Ateta calls that dominating again, whatever whatever you want to say. But the two goals they scored were Kane and Son on the counter-attack. And I don't think other than that, they created much. So you take you eliminate that threat, you, you, you're in with every chance. And very quickly then, um, Wolves away at the weekend. How crucial is it that they get back on the horse and win that one? Yeah, I think it's crucial. I do. Um, Wolves, obviously, very inconsistent. Lost at Burnley last night, but you know, a few days earlier had, had beat Chelsea at home. So Wolves are capable of beating anyone on the day. And they're also capable of losing to anyone on the day. It's a bit of a weird one for Nuno at the minute, obviously dealing with the loss of Jimenez, which is a big one for them. But yeah, I think it's paramount that Spurs go there and, and get a result, really, to be honest with you. Um, if they lose to Wolves, then you start questioning the form going into the new year, you start questioning what's realistic for them then. Obviously, they were genuine title contenders, but this last week has seen them uh, slip away. And it's almost been a little bit Spursy, hasn't it, of old, where they've sort of, um, you know, bottled it. Or if you want to say that, or they've they've just not had the mental strength to get through, you know, that spell. Like the last, like the Firmino goal, for example, 90th minute header off a corner. You know, you, you'd fancy Spurs to, to defend a corner, really, wouldn't you, with the size of them? So, yes, they need a result because if they've got title ambitions, they need to get back on the horse as quickly as possible. But for the, the sort of the, the mentality of the players, really, to, they can think to themselves, right, we can, you know, pick ourselves back up and get results after a, a tough run. And, and that's more important than anything, I think. You're listening to Matchday FM. How... 
crucial has Bruno Fernandes been? Because it, it, they've almost been, it, it, I think it's fair to say, they've just been unrecognisable since he's come in. I think he's certainly jumped into the Premier League halfway through the season and certainly shown he can swim in that particular <laughs> in that metaphor. <laughs> Rather than sink. <laughs> yeah. I know, we're we are still talking about football, aren't we? I oh, know, no, but no. I meant in the metaphor. The Olympics is next year, Tommy. Check out all of our podcasts so far on Anchor, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Looking ahead to the big game of the weekend now, and it's uh, another London derby between Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, usually, we're talking about this game as contenders for top four, if not more. Um, there's only one that's really anywhere near, and that, that's Chelsea, who have shown glimpses of being excellent and also shown the other side to them as well. But for Arsenal, you know, they can't be any further away from where they want to be right now. And we, I know we spoke a lot in recent times about um, the issue, issues at Arsenal. Um, you know, who's this a bigger game for then? Because um, obviously it's a massive game anyway for bragging rights, etc. But, you know, Arsenal needed to stop the rot. Chelsea also needed to keep themselves in the conversation for potential title challenges or at least top four contenders. So who needs it most? It's interesting because obviously I think most people think Arsenal and I do think Arsenal just, but Chelsea, obviously, I know they had a good result last night against West Ham, but I think Lampard again has seen inconsistencies. You know, there's there's quality in that squad. Obviously a few players like Havertz and Werner are taking a bit of time to settle in. Um, but obviously the the record against the big teams, obviously, obviously Arsenal is still class of the big team, even though the form is horrific at the minute. But Lampard's record against big teams this season is, has been poor, really, really poor. And that's why they find themselves off the pace a little bit. So it's a big game for Chelsea, don't get me wrong. If they win this, you know, um, it takes them right back into the mix. Um, I thought they might compete for the title this, this season, maybe next season once everyone settles in. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but they've got to finish top four. Anything less than that is a massive, massive failure. But I expect them to do that anyway. So I would say I'd, I'd lean probably towards Arsenal, to be honest, Chris. And I think the reason why is there for everyone to see, isn't it? Where they are in the table at the minute. They're currently genuinely in the relegation mix, aren't they? Let's be honest. And the form um, is just, yeah. I mean, losing to Burnley at home, losing to Wolves at home, lost to Everton recently. They lost to Spurs. Like, it's just not good at all. Um, and me and you have spoke about it, haven't we, Chris, about what's going wrong there. I like Arteta. I think he's the man to do it, but there's a lot of other factors letting him down, isn't there? Uh, would you agree with that? Would you Would you say it's bigger for Arsenal? Yeah, I, I think it's slightly bigger for Arsenal because I think, it, you know, they're teetering on the edge of being very much in a relegation battle. Um, you know, looking at a couple of fixtures... Um, Fulham are at home to Southampton. Obviously, Southampton are flying, but potentially winnable game. Um, Sheffield United, Everton, you, we don't know. Everton have a, the inconsistency in them. If Sheffield United can start winning games, who knows? Burnley, as we've touched on, are going through their mini revival. Sam Allardyce going in at, at West Brom. You know, the more Arsenal go on losing, the more it becomes a genuine possibility they could be dragged right into a relegation battle. Look at Brighton away at West Ham as well. Again, 
you could see them potentially getting something. If Arsenal lose again, another side's picking points up, especially now, like we talked about, all these fixtures, they're just going to get sucked in and sucked in. Yes, on paper, they have a team that's, you know, I don't think it's a team that's top four by any stretch of the imagination. It's a team that's top eight at worst, and yet they're languishing where they are. And, you know, it could, weirdly enough, it could be the perfect fixture for them to to galvanise themselves. You know, it is the game they circle at the start of the season into, along with the Spurs and, you know, United, etc. If they can win it, I could see them gaining confidence and stringing two or three wins together and changing things around. But the more that it goes on without them getting that win to be able to do that, the more you start to worry for them, don't you, really? And um, do you think, Kieran, that uh, Chelsea will be licking their lips at the prospect then of, of playing Arsenal? Um, you know, because Arsenal have been that poor lately, you could see Chelsea winning 2-3-4-0. Um, but at the same time, do you also think that they'll be worried the fact that they don't, don't want to be the team that loses to this Arsenal team? Yeah, I think... Uh, Chelsea should be very confident going into it, especially after last night's result. I thought that, you know, West Ham have picked up some really decent results, haven't they, this off air this season? You know, we praised David Moyes, and I think that could have been a potential banana skin for Chelsea, but they dealt with it uh, not with ease, but pretty professionally, didn't they, to be honest with you? A good, solid result. And, you know, Lampard, I want to be backing that up with another big win over Arsenal. Like I said, it's a big game, it is a big, big London derby. And but they'll also, they, you know, they, they will be conscious of, you know, wounded animal if you like Arsenal. And they, they, you were right in in saying that it's make or break. Really, it's it's do you wallow in your self pity and you go to Chelsea and you don't have that confidence and you get absolutely slapped, or do you use it and come out fighting and go, this is a big game, we win this. Like think of how it will bring us together. You know, the spirit of the team that confidence you were talking about, which is just non-existent at the minute, that will all come flowing back because it will be a massive result. So I think Chelsea will be worried, but I think they'll be quietly confident at the same time. Um, I think obviously Chelsea have a lot going forward and Arsenal's defence has not been great for, well, numerous years, but this season it's looking pretty shaky, to be honest with you. And discipline issues as well, we've spoke about in the Arsenal ranks, obviously Gabriel, Xhaka. Um, so it's a, it's Chelsea going into it as firm favourites for me. But there's every chance, isn't there? Derby matches, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and Arsenal need a spark from somewhere. Let's see if they can they can pull it out here. But I'm not entirely sure because I think Chelsea will, will be pretty quietly confident about getting a, a good result. The Matchday FM podcast, available now on Apple and Spotify. Okay, then, let's predict some of the outcomes then, Kieran. Your favourite bit of the podcast every week, though, isn't it, mate? I actually got one right last time. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember who was it. Nil-nil, Villa Burnley. <laughs> I know, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a man so happy about a goalless draw. But then, on the same evening, I nearly had the 4-1 as well, United-Sheffield United, but then Sheffield United scored a second, ended up 3-2, so... Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of Man United, we're going to start with them. They're taking on Leicester in the early kickoff on Boxing Day. Two sides riding high. Looks a very good game on paper, doesn't it? How do you see it going, Kevin? Ooh, it's a tough one. I think either side could win it, to be honest with you, um, the way things are going. But to keep it short and sweet, I'm going for 
I'll go for a one-one draw. I think. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable assumption. Uh, I don't think there's an awful lot between the two sides. I think um, both sides have shown up really well at the week. Kind um, last again that great win against Spurs United, with that good showing against Leeds. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bat United to win two-one uh, as is customary. Aston Villa, Crystal Palace. This is interesting, isn't it? Um, obviously, Palace off the back of a you know a string of decent performances and results. Really got absolutely pumped, didn't they, by Liverpool? Let's be honest. Um, on another day, we'd have been speaking about that, but for the madness of United and, and, and Leeds on the on the weekend. Um, so yeah, they'll be looking for a response. Villa are in a really good place, aren't they, Chris? At the minute, I think um, yeah, they've, they've had a couple of inconsistent results, but on the whole, this season. They'll be pretty pleased with how things are going. And I'm going to back them. I think I'm going to go for 2-0 Aston Villa. Yeah, the only thing that's a bit strange about Villa is, other than that, since they white Liverpool at Villa Park, I don't think they've won at home, which is a bit of a, a strange one. But I think they might change that this time. I think I'm going to go for 1-0 to Aston Villa in that one. Fulham, Southampton. Obviously, Southampton have been going really, really well this season. Um, Fulham. You know, they're picking up a few results here and there, aren't they? They were excellent against Liverpool. Um, you know, got another point against Newcastle. And, you know, having seen the penalty that got given to Newcastle, I think, personally, I think it's a dive by Wilson. I don't think it was a penalty. Um, so they're very unlucky there. Um, do you think they can get anything against Southampton? I think they can. I do, I do think they can. I know Southampton are playing really, really well. You know, obviously lost 1-0 to City on the weekend, which isn't, a, a massively disheartening result. You know, you'd say on form, probably Southampton were, were on fire in, in comparison to Manchester City, but, you know, that would be a really good result for City. And I think Pep will be really pleased to go there and keep a clean sheet. So Southampton doing really well, obviously, but I think Fulham can get a result. I'm going to go for an entertaining watch, I think, Chris. I think both teams try and play some decent stuff and uh, I'm going to go for 2-2, I think. Yeah, I think it'd be a decent game as well. Um, but I'm going to, this is going to be my um, bold prediction. I think Fulham might nick it. I really do. Uh, sorry, Joe. But yeah, I'm going to go <laughs> Fulham 2-1. Entertaining game though. But yeah, I, I just, I think of all the teams down there in the bottom three of the minute, Fulham are the one, I think, who could get out of it. Um, so yeah, I think they might got a decent chance of nicking that one. So I'm going to go 2-1. Makes it interesting for Arsenal as well. And moving on to Arsenal, they're taking on Chelsea, as we've mentioned. Will Arsenal be able to dig themselves out of a bit of a hole and get a win here, Key, or will Chelsea? If it's the game to do it, uh, then they couldn't couldn't pick a better game, really, to be honest with you. But I don't see it happening. I think it's going to be, like I said, I think Lampard will be quietly confident and I think it'll be pretty comfortable for Chelsea. I'm going to go, you might think it's bold, but I'm going to go 3-0 Chelsea, I think. I just think they've got too much going forward for Arsenal's defence at the minute to deal with. I wouldn't be up entirely surprised by that but I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea um, so we're both predicting more misery for Arteta um, Arteta's former club I'm doing this perfectly linking it all in Man City against Newcastle um, you got to feel a bit for Newcastle haven't you with obviously they had they've probably been the hardest hit by COVID I know that um, it's been released this week a couple of players themselves and some Maximan have really suffered with, with the after effects of COVID and um, so the way 
they're going about their business. You've got to admire it, really. Um, City struggling to score goals. Do you think, again, this is an opportunity for them to kick on? Yeah, I think it is. Um, Newcastle, you know, almost fighting with one hand tied behind the back at the minute. And like I said, the COVID thing has really hit them hard. I read that about Lascelles and St. Maximan. They're struggling with the after effects. So um, even... You know, even without COVID, I think Steve Bruce is doing not a bad job at all. I think Rafa Benitez did a very similar thing last season and he got loads and loads of credit. And I don't know whether that's because he's like a Champions League, former Champions League winning manager or he's Spanish and Steve Bruce is, you know, British manager. I said the same about Moyes against Bielsa. I think British managers don't get a lot of credit, to be honest with you, um, in comparison to, you know, the, the, the foreign exports that we have, who obviously come with a big reputation. Don't get me wrong, Bielsa's, you know, world-renowned and Benitez obviously had, you know, a lot a lot of history as well. Um, so I think Bruce is doing a, a commendable job first and foremost, but this probably a, a bridge too far for them, to be honest. And I think City will fancy getting a few goals. Again, I'm going to go for a high-scoring affair. I think I'm going to go City 4, Newcastle 1, I think. Yeah, let's go for that. Yeah, along similar lines, I'll go for the same margin, but less goals. City 3, Newcastle 0. Sheffield United, Everton. Sheffield were very unlucky not to get all three points, weren't they, against Brighton. Everton picked up again. A couple of really good results against uh, big teams. I know Ars- we say Arsenal, big team still, so there's, what, 15th or whatever. But it was a good win for them. Um, beating Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal three games in a row. That's great form, really, for Everton. Do you think they're just going to continue that? Or do you think Sheffield United can finally get that win? I think Everton will continue that. But as our Everton contingent at Matchday FM will know, um, it would be very Everton for them to beat Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, and then lose to Sheffield United, who haven't won a game (laughs) yet this season. Um, But to be fair to you, lads, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'd be a comfortable 2-0 Everton win. you know what, Sheffield United are battling, they're battling it, you know, battling away, aren't they? Putting their hearts on the line for the club. And um, I just don't think they have the quality, unfortunately, because they're very unlucky against Brighton. I mean, Lundstrom, for me, would never play for the club again. Hands down. He's turned down a contract extension, which I think Chris Wilder is very annoyed at because Lundstrom was, um, listen, a few years ago, he was on trial at Wigan when Wigan were in League One and we didn't offer him a deal. So not only Sheffield United give him a chance, he has disrespected the club. And then to do that, it's just absolutely stupid, isn't it? That tackle was a joke. What is he thinking? You, when they need 11 players more than any, any time of the season, he goes and does something like that. So he wouldn't play for the club. And I think Wilder is slowly but surely narrowing down his squad to a group of players who, he's, who he can trust. And as long as they stay fit, he's going to stick with the group of players that you know he can put out there and, and believe they, they'll give all for the club. And that's all they can ask for at the minute. But I just don't think they have the quality, Chris, unfortunately. And, and, and obviously, they will go down, in my opinion. Um, and, in, and in this game, I fancy Everton with a, with a 2-0 win. Yeah, I'm going to agree pretty much with every word you said there, Kate. And even the scoreline, I'm going to go 2-0 to Everton. On to the Sunday games. Leeds-Burnley. Um, this is quite a big game, really, for Leeds, as, as we mentioned. Um, you know, They don't want to get into a situation where they lose to too many games to sides below them. Burnley is still below them and Burnley are doing their usual Christmas uh, blitz, aren't they? Um, and if anybody can stop Leeds scoring, it's Sean Dyche, isn't it, really tactically. Um, how do you see it going? 
It's a tough one because I don't think sitting back against Leeds is the right thing to do. As I mentioned with Newcastle before, they lost 5-2. And I think you've got to go toe-to-toe with Leeds and take the game to them because you can hurt them when you go forward. But Burnley just aren't that sort of team, are they? And I think Dice will go the, you know, two banks of four and try and try and just pick up a result, really. Um, and I think, I just think that means Leeds will, will edge it, maybe. Tough one because Burnley are in really good form, so I would not be surprised at all if they got a result. I'll go, I'll say 2-1 Leeds, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I think Burnley might nick a point. Um, typical set-piece, Sean Dyche sort of goal. Um, and Leeds' record at set-pieces is, is woeful as well. Um, so I'm going to go 1-1 in that one at LM Road. Uh, West Ham, Brighton. I know throughout the the series of podcasts, a lot of us have spoken about how we like to see Brighton play and the way they go about their business. But it's getting to the point where it's it's all sort of talking no substance, isn't it, really? They're not scoring goals and very, very lucky to get something against Sheffield United. Is it a little bit worrying now for Brighton? And do they need to go to West Ham and get something? You know, when we did our predictions at the beginning of the season, I said I think Brighton will finish like 15th and it'd be pretty comfortable. But, but you're right, Chris, they play some brilliant football and we've mentioned it before, but um, they don't create an awful lot. And then when they do create, they ain't being clinical. They don't score as often as they should. It's taken them two, three chances to get a goal. So it's a, it's a bit worrying at the minute for them. Um, you know, they've still got their heads above water going into Christmas, which they'll be pleased with because, let's be honest, the ultimate goal for Brighton is to stay up, isn't it? Um, but I do feel they need to go to West Ham and at least get a point, to be honest with you. Um, but I can't see it. I think West Ham will sneak a goal and that'll be enough. I think it'll just be 1-0 to West Ham and they'll let Brighton have a lot of the ball um, and, be, and be pretty happy, you know, sitting in and, and, and defending a lead. So, yeah, 1-0 to West Ham. Yeah, very similar observations there. Um, yeah, I've got to up here again. I'm going to go West Ham 1, Brighton 0. Uh, Liverpool, West Brom. You know, of all the stats in the world, it's still baffling this um, Liverpool home record into, you know, 60-odd games or whatever it is. And the last manager to win there was Big Sam Allardyce. And in his first away game, as new manager of West Brom, having been beaten at home in his first one, is to go to Liverpool. What are the odds on him doing it again? But, well, the odds the odds will be massive, but I've seen weirder things happen, and do not like he he'll probably just be thinking, you know what, I'll try and do the same again. That 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 would just be big Sam, wouldn't it? All over, he'll go there. Listen, they're going to go there and defend for the lives, aren't they? And that's pretty much what Palace did. And they sneaked. I think was it off a set piece. I think it was a Benteke header, wasn't it? Was it two one for Palace when they won there? Um, listen, I don't think it's going to happen, but wouldn't it be? Um, not only hilarious, <laughs> but it would it would be uh, it would just be mad. It would be just be you know the Barclays all over, wouldn't it? Um, but to be honest with you, Chris, the way Liverpool are going in the minute, and I think West Brom, I don't think there's been weirdly no optimism from the fans. They really liked Billich. I think he had them playing a way that they haven't played for a long, long time, and they were a bit peeved when they brought in Allardyce. Whether the players will buy into it or not. Listen, he's not had that much time. I know the Villa result um, was an obscure one because he, well, he had a couple of days in Livermore. Obviously, let him down. Similar way that Lundstrom let Sheffield United down. So it's you can't read too much into it yet. But 
whether the players will buy into it, I know the fans are a bit disappointed, will be interesting. Um, he's done it before. Can he do it again? Who knows? But I'm going to go pretty comfortable for Liverpool, I think, because they're just on fire, aren't they? Um, I'm going to go 4-0. Part of me's thinking something ridiculous like 5-0. I really could see them absolutely walloping them if they get, you know, if they get one or two, I think the, um, you know, the, the wall will break. But there's also that baby that's just thinking, is it is it actually going to happen? Is Big Sam going to absolutely go there and just do what he does best? I'd love it to happen, but I genuinely think there's there's more chance of Liverpool scoring five or six. Um, yeah, I'm going to go 5-0 Liverpool. Um, Wolves against Spurs then. Uh, we touched on it briefly earlier. Um, how do you see this one going then for the final game? It's a tough one, isn't it? Tough one, because who knows what version of these teams are going to turn up? I just don't have a clue. Uh, you know, will, will it be the Wolves that beat Chelsea or the Wolves that lost at Burnley? You know, what Spurs is going to be the Spurs of the last week, last three games, or is it going to be the Spurs that, you know, have been such an efficient winning machine over the course of the rest of the season? Who bloody knows? But I think Spurs um, are fancy uh, jumping on Wolves here, and I think it'll be close, but I think Spurs get three points. I'll say 2-1 Tottenham. Yeah, I think Spurs are going to win it. Mm. Yeah, going to go 1-0 Spurs. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Why not let us know what you think? Get in touch by searching for Matchday FM on social media. On to then the awards for the the last game week of action then so player manager performance and goal and um, start with your player Kieran I'll give it I'll give a shout to Scott McTominay and obviously we praised him but I'm going to go for Jordan Henderson I think and I'll give you the reasons why um, I think he goes under the radar quite a lot to be honest with you and you love him all right I think he's brilliant for Liverpool and you know the the win percentage with and without him under Klopp at Liverpool speaks volumes I think it's like 66 to 34 roughly around that anyway but I watched him and the my dad was like, I told my dad when I came in on Saturday, I watched that game and I, I seen a little piece of analysis and I was speaking to him about it. And then my dad was like, oh, they spoke about it on match of the day later on in the evening. I was like, well, get me on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but he was dropping, he, he was dropping in um, and almost forming like a back three, you know? So Matty was in the center and Fabinho will go to the left and Henderson to the right. And it's like a back three, but almost like you got two midfielders in there, haven't you? And it gave Liverpool an element of control which Palace weren't expecting, I don't think. And, you know, he ended up bossing the game and obviously scored a scorcher as well. That first time, you know, in step, which bent away from Guaita. So I'm going to go for Jordan Henderson. Yeah, it might be a surprising one with all the goals that we've had, but I just think his all-round performance was um, was brilliant. And, he, and he's, he has turned into a leader now, hasn't he? He's turned into captain material. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm going to give it to Scott McTominay. I thought it was probably one of his... Um best performances in a United shirt in terms of showing that different element to his game as well. Obviously got the two goals in um, inside three minutes as well, but played a big part in the rest of that United performance. And manager, who are we going for? Again, I want to do an honourable mention, you know, a pat on the back for Ole. I think Solskjaer um, spotted weakness in Leeds and picked his personnel and the way they were going to play to exploit that. And boy, did they exploit that, you know, six goals. But I'm going to go for Brendan Rodgers. I think 
the system he went to Spurs with, you know, when you pointed out rightfully, Chris, the James Justin son masterstroke, if you like, um, turned out to be a classic Rodgers decision, really. I think Rodgers is one of those managers and he's quite bold with his tactics. He has a few different systems as a philosophy that is at the core of that, but he will tweak and take risks. You know, sometimes it doesn't come off. Sometimes it does. And I just like that about him. I think he's such a modern manager and the way he looks at the game. You know, he's, he thinks about it really, really deeply. And listen, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But more often than that, at the minute, it's working, isn't it? So, uh, third play to Brendan Rodgers, Leicester right up there as well, flying. Weirdly enough, I've gone for Brendan Rodgers as well. I think um got his tactics spot on. And like I said about the, you know, the way they dealt with Son. Uh, with the use of Albrighton and Justin, I thought that was a great bit of um, tactical awareness. And ultimately, that's what your manager is there for during the game, isn't it? The, the, the tactics. Um, so, double uh, there for Brendan Rodgers. Uh, performance then. Um, there's probably a, a, a few to pick from in terms of team performances, isn't there? But um, who are you going to side with? You know what? Obviously, 7-0 is a banker, isn't it? Or 6-2 is a banker. But, I'm going to go for City. To go to Southampton, who are on fire, and to win, but win professionally with a clean sheet, I think will be massive for City. And it's a different... I think Pep is playing almost a little bit more conservative, if you like, this season. Obviously, went to United with two older midfielders, took the point. I think he's almost a bit like what Klopp did, where he realised he couldn't go as gung-ho, because teams were finding them out a little bit. So he shut up shop a little bit, if you like, and brought in Van Dijk and just steeled it up a little bit. I think that's what Pep's trying to do with tweaking his formation and obviously brought in Diash and Stones has got back into the team as well. He's obviously having a real good impact. So I just think to go to Southampton or on fire and keep a clean sheet and get a win, proper good old-fashioned away win that one at 1-0. So yeah, I'm going to go for City. Well, I've got cliche and got Liverpool. <laughs> got to give him some credit Listen, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 7-0. Speaks for itself, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah, and I don't. I didn't even think they got out third gear. That's the worrying thing. Give you everybody else. In terms of goal, a uh, few to pick from from that uh, Liverpool seven showing, um, as well as others in in different games. So, where are you going to, you know, choose your goal of the week? Oh, there's some crackers, isn't there? You know, Henderson's what I spoke about. Salah's where he just bent it in the top corner. You know, McTominay's first. Even his second, I thought the step over touch and the little, you know, dinked finish. Some some crackers, but I'm actually going to go for, and I don't know if you've seen it, Chris, uh, Bertrand Triores for Villa at West Brom, where he just, it was mad. He just caressed it beautifully in the bottom corner. You, you're just thinking, smash this. And he just, and the keep, I think the keeper just being flat-footed and watching it go past him just summed it up, really because it was just so, so beautifully placed. And I think because he, he, he hit it with like half a step, it caught everyone off balance and flat-footed because they weren't expecting to take it. And it just such an aesthetically pleasing goal on the eye. So yeah, I'm going to go uh, Bertrand Traore, Villa. Yeah, that was very much in my consideration as well. Just, you know, you just weren't expecting, he literally just passed it in. And oh, it was a gorgeous little finish, but I'm going to go for McTominay's first one. Um, the way he hits it and it just sort of, arcs away into that bottom corner. Meslier's got no chance there as well. And I think he just typified his performance as well, that goal. You know what's yeah. satisfying about that as well, Chris? The Tommy one. The way the, the net lifted up when it hit the bottom corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, that always that, adds that, to that, it. That, that noise. Well, uh, that's 
this episode of Pram Talk wrapped up. And uh, just to make everybody aware of how we're going to cover the multitude of, of games that are going to be coming up, basically because the games, literally there's a game on every other hour uh, throughout Christmas. What we're going to do for the two rounds after the Boxing Day rounds, we're just going to do a a web post uh, with our little preview and predictions from um, a number of the Match Day FM team just to keep us ticking over. And we'll back with a full um, Prem Talk probably first week back into uh, into the new year. Uh, we'll be also have a, an FA Cup special as well um, coming up ahead of the third round, which I believe is around the 9th of January. But to keep an eye on all our social media for all the ver- various bits of content that's going to be going on. Um, but my thanks to Kieran and uh, my thanks to everyone who's listened to this and listened to all the other ones that are still available on our website, on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, wherever you get podcasts from. We are there. We're getting everywhere now. But that's it from me, Chris Stott, from Kieran Making and the rest of the Prem Talk team for this year. So have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>